0: Hello, and welcome to Grace Church of Laverne. My My name's Jeff New, I'm the online pastor, and I'm so glad you're here. We hope that you find that Grace Church is a place where you can belong and become everything God has intended for you to be. And to do that, you can't do that alone. You need to reach out to your community. We were designed to live in community. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so in a while, or if you haven't done so yet, let's connect. And if you would like to connect, you can go to gracechurchlaverne.org connect. And there you'll find an option to fill out a connection form where you can introduce yourself to me or update some of your information so that I can reach out and see how you're doing and um, how I can get you plugged in if you're interested in a small group, whether it's in person or online, or you want to know what our men's or women's ministries are doing. that's a great place for you to check in there. You can also learn about the programs we have for our students and our kids. Also, if you go to that website, you will find a prayer request form. And if you have anything that we can be praying for, whether it's something going on in your life or someone you know's life, we would love to be praying for you and with you. So please, don't hesitate, go fill out that form and let us be joining you in prayer. Our experience together doesn't have to stop here in this, this, this space, in this area of media. It can go beyond, and so we encourage you to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook, and we even have a Facebook community group that you can join and just be a part of the conversation throughout the week and connect with others from Grace Church. Regardless of when you're listening to this message, that community is there and we're ready for you to engage with us. And we're continuing our series, Psalms, the language of faith today. And I think it's gonna be a great message from Pastor Chris. So I'm glad you're here and our experience will begin shortly.
1: Good to see you all. welcome to Grace Church. Anybody that might be visiting or you've visited and you've just been here a few times, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Good morning to everybody who's watching online and to everyone who's outside and it's just good to see you. I love you. And I loved last Sunday. How many of you were here last Sunday with Pastor Donald and the group from CDC? It was fantastic. Um, they've, they've got a huge a Facebook following. They had over 1500 views of the service last week through their church's Facebook account. That was just awesome. And I thought Donald and Ethel were delightful and I loved having their people here. Um, he texted me yesterday and said that uh, there's two Sundays in August where he's going to be asking his church to join us again. So we're going to have some fun services together, but um, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm excited that I get to talk to you today. So open your Bibles to the book of Jonah chapter 2. And while you're finding Jonah buried inside the minor prophets at the end of our Old Testament, I want to urge you to be here next Sunday, if at all possible. Uh, If you're not out of town on vacation, please join me next Sunday. I want to talk to you. Um, A little more personally than I sometimes do, I want to talk a little bit about how how I'm doing, how my family's doing, how our church is doing. I want to share a little bit of what it's been like being a pastor during this pandemic. And we've lived through a volatile election cycle. We've had um, civil and political upheaval, and we've had a global pandemic with the coronavirus. And I just want to share what that's been like for me. And and, and it's not going to just be about me. I'm going to bring a message and we'll talk from the scriptures. But it's also been a while since I've shared with you where grace is positioned with all of this. You know, we thought we were done with the pandemic and then now it's back. And it's been a while since we've talked about what we are and aren't doing and why we are and aren't doing certain things. So I just want to have kind of a good heart-to-heart family talk next Sunday. So please join me if you would. That'll be very important. Um, But today, I want to continue the series that we've just started on Psalms, the language of faith. And here's the thought process behind this new series that we're doing. About two months ago, three months ago, we started a series at Grace called Kingdom and Chaos. And the premise of that series was that God always answers chaos with a kingdom, And and in the scriptures, probably one of the most chaotic, turbulent, fractured times was the period in Israel's history of the judges. And when you read the book of Judges in the Bible, by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, it's so chaotic and confusing, you feel like you're reading a bad dream. Jessica was watching the news the other day, and she said, wow, wow. It takes about 12 minutes of the news before you feel like you're watching a bad dream based on what's being presented and promoted. And um, well, God's answer to chaos is always a kingdom. And his answer to the chaos of the judges was the monarchy, the kingdom of Israel, which began with King Saul and then was most beautifully expressed through King David. Um, So we spent several weeks together looking at the book of 1 Samuel. We looked at the key players in that book because 1 Samuel bridges the chaos of the judges and the establishment of the kingdom and the inauguration of David as king. And then we've paired that teaching along with our summer reading book Among Kings. And this little book, Among Kings, uh, explains David's story even further and talks a little bit more about his high points and his low points, and, um, and we've been focusing there. And, and, and David, by the way, was not a perfect king. He was Israel's most famous king, uh, most uh, powerful king, he, he was not Israel's perfect king. He was both deeply flawed and deeply amazing kind of like our country, actually. (laughs) You know, we're in such a tumultuous, divided time that people are having a very difficult time taking wise, mediating positions between extremes today. America is amazing. There has never been a country like the United States in the history of the world. And... And we have a rich and powerful and amazing heritage in so many areas. And we are a deeply flawed nation. And we have sins that started before the founding of our nation. And they've manifested in all different kinds of ways all through the history of our nation. And both of those are true. And it's okay to say that both of those are true. Well, King David made some awful, tragic, horrible decisions and he never stopped chasing God. In fact, that's what it means to be a man after or in pursuit of the heart of God. Um, In the big picture of David's life, he was so devoted to God. He was so devoted to the presence of God that David became the standard by which every subsequent Israeli king was measured. At the end of every king's life, the Bible judges them based on whether they did right, like their father David, or they did right, but not quite as good as David, or they did evil. He was the standard. David, think about this, is the second most frequently missioned person in the Bible besides God. David is mentioned 1,139 times in the Bible. Abraham, father of the Jewish people, is a distant third with only 311 references. Jesus referenced David nine times. Jesus was called the son of David 16 times. Jesus was born in the city of David. And at the very end of the Bible, at the end of Revelation, Jesus is still talking about David. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David. Um, So our kingdom and chaos series ended with David becoming king. And and, and now we've transitioned from that into a big picture look at the Psalms. And this is a very natural transition because David was credited with writing about 50% of our 150 Psalms in the Bible. In fact, at the end of his life, he's nicknamed the sweet Psalmist of Israel. It's pretty awesome. Now, for most Uh, of Jewish religious history and for most of the church's history, the book of Psalms was the prayer book. People didn't spend an hour trying to figure out what to say to God or, or how do I fill 30 minutes of prayer to God? I can't think of things to say. That's not how they prayed. They prayed their way through the Psalms. So the Psalms gave religious devout people a language for their faith. And by the way, Isaiah, Pastor Isaiah did a brilliant job of explaining this and setting this up a couple of weeks ago in his message. But the Psalms taught people how to praise, how to worship, how to pray to God, how to repent, how to celebrate, how to grieve, how to pray passionately against the enemies of their souls. Um, People actually relied more on the scripted prayers of the Psalms. This is through most of, of religious history until recently, our history, they relied more on the scripted prayers of the Psalms than than the spontaneous prayers of their own hearts. This is kind of backwards from how we do it. And listen, I, I want you to catch the essence of this series because this could be a game changer with how you approach prayer. This could be a game changer in how you understand and use the book of Psalms. And let me give you an example of this in the book of Jonah chapter two. By the way, we all, we all live near the ocean. Um, have any of you ever been swallowed by a whale? <laughs> I've seen a whale. I, I saw a guy paddle boarding as a whale went by him. Anybody ever been swallowed by a whale? Um, the, <laughs> there's a lot of debate around the, the Jonah and the whale story today because a lot of people say there is no way that somebody could live for three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. There, there's no way. And so since there's no way that that could happen, the, this story has to be a parable, which means it, it teaches us truth, but it doesn't actually have to be true. It's still truth, but it didn't actually have to happen. And if that is the case, if, if Jonah's a parable, it is true. But, but I really like how Billy Graham approached the book of Jonah. Um, Billy Graham one time, don't you just want to hug him? <laughs> I wish he was my grandfather. But but Billy Graham one time, he said, I have no trouble believing that the whale swallowed Jonah. He said, I would have believed it if Jonah had swallowed the whale. And he wasn't saying, I'm an idiot, and I believe every weird thing that religion tells me. No, he was saying, once you accept the proposition of God, in the beginning God, then miracles are a possibility. There are sea creatures with large enough cavities of space inside them to hold a human being. And by the way, in Jewish timekeeping, any portion of a day was counted as a full day, which is why Jesus, for instance, he was only in the grave for part of Friday, all of Saturday, and just a very few hours in the early morning on Sunday. But we say it was three days and three nights because of Jewish timekeeping. But regardless of all of that, I want you to look at Jonah's prayer. So in Jonah, the very end of chapter one, it says, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers have washed over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, and I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then in verse 10, it says that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, if you are a consistent Bible reader, then you must have noticed when I was reading this that every single line of Jonah's prayer is taken directly from the book of Psalms. There is not one part of this prayer that he made up. From the belly of the fish. Just listen one more time. Listen to a couple of these. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Those are David's words. David prayed that in Psalm 18. Um, All your waves and breakers have swept over me. That's Psalm 42. In fact, that's the Psalm that Isaiah used when he kicked off this series. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your temple. That's a quote from the Psalms. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love. David talked about that in Psalm 31. I mean, think about this. If there was ever a time when it would have been appropriate to just, blah, just pour your heart out to God, it would have been in this moment. And he probably did that. And it would have been fine to do that. But somehow, even in that moment, Jonah understood that there was something about the Psalms that gave the most appropriate language for whatever it is that he was facing. The Psalms speak to us and for us in every stage of life, whether it's tragic or celebration. In, fact, in Psalm 45 verse one, uh, this is a wedding song. And it says, my heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. The Psalms give language for the high moments. Have you ever had a high moment? Nobody has ever had a high moment in this church. <laughs> the Psalms speak to us when we're defeated. Are we watching the Olympics? Oh, I miss those days of me almost falling off the stage. <laughs> if you've been at Grace for a while, I always I want to be closer to you, and I almost always fall off, and I just realize I get to do that again. I, I haven't done that during the whole pandemic, <laughs> But it, we're in these Olympic, Olympic games. We're watching some people win and some people are defeated. Um, sometimes we, we hang our head in shame like a defeated athlete. And we need Psalm 3 where it says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory and the one who lifts my head high. Or, or how about the, the waiting seasons of life? You ever been in a holding pattern? A waiting season? Um, did you guys ever read the, the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go? It's such a great book. It's a great graduation gift. We got it for Amber when she graduated. Um, I think I don't think we got you one, Mads. You know how you use up all your good stuff on the first kids? <laughs> I'll, I'll buy you one. <laughs> Actually, I'll just read it to you. Um, <clears throat> here's what Dr. Seuss said about the waiting place. He said, you can get so confused that you'll start into race down long, wiggled roads at a breaknecking space and grind on for miles across weirdish, wild space, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place, the waiting place. For people just waiting. Waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. Well, Psalm 27, David says, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. So whether you're celebrating or you're needing to be encouraged or you're you're discouraged or you're waiting, the Psalms have language for your soul. And today what I want to do for just maybe 10 more minutes is all. I want to talk specifically about how the Psalms give us language for our suffering. I wanna to talk to you about the language of suffering for just a few minutes. 42 of the 150 Psalms in our Bible are songs of lament. That's almost 30% of all of our songs are songs of grief. I think that's interesting because I think suffering is probably the number one common denominator between human beings, regardless of background or life experience or station in life. Maybe love. Maybe love's the top common denominator, but suffering is, is right up there. Um, but, but you know what I've noticed? Um, I've noticed that church people in particular, that would be you, don't do very well with suffering. You know I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> so I spend a lot of time around church people. And I've noticed that church people in particular, they don't know how to suffer very well. We're not good sufferers. And I understand why. There's a couple reasons for that. Number one, um, suffering is a foreign entity. Life is not supposed to be this way. We get offended when we have to suffer because we know in our core, I was created for Eden, not the wilderness. Suffering is not right. And so how can you be comfortable with something that's not right? And number two, suffering feels like an insult to the goodness and the power of God. Everywhere Jesus Christ took the kingdom of God, life came back into order. Everywhere he went, broken bodies repaired. Minds were cleared. Demon spirits ran away. Relationships came back into order. And so when we suffer, we rightly cry out to God to heal us. And by the way, um, many of those lament psalms in the Bible have those exact same prayers for healing. So suffering is wrong and God can do something about it. And so when I suffer and I'm caught in this reality over here compared to this promised reality over there, I sometimes don't know what to do with myself. If I embrace the suffering, I feel like, well, maybe that means I'm giving up or I don't have enough faith to believe that God could do something more. I should be fighting against this more. Or I feel like I'm embracing something that isn't God's will for me, because surely God, who is good and loving, would not allow suffering to touch my life. And then when we get caught in this place, we end up, I see people doing a couple of things. we end up spending all of our time trying to get out of the suffering And their whole Christian experience is trying to figure out how to get the power of God to free them from their suffering. Or I watch people flounder in a crisis of faith in the middle of their suffering. Or I watch people die poorly because they didn't know how to deal with suffering. You know, there is a way to face death that honors God. And believes for the impossible while still writing farewell letters to your loved ones and putting your affairs in order and leaving no statement or no expression of love left uncommunicated. There's a way to have incredible faith while also saying, okay, and thank you for these 20 years or these 40 years or these 90 years that I've been allowed to live. I've known beautiful, dying people who would not say goodbye to their loved ones because they were afraid that that would be a lack of faith and maybe God wouldn't heal them. What kind of a God are we serving? We have to ask this question sometimes. What kind of a God are we serving? Are we serving a heavenly father who would say, oh, so sorry, honey. You were doing so good, but you doubted while battling cancer. And since you doubted, the miracle's not gonna come to your life. Give me a break. We, 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 we pray and we trust and we speak God's word because we love Him and because we trust Him and because we know that He can. But at the exact same time, we realize that there is also a fellowship to be found in the suffering. Uh, The Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So I want to know him on the mountaintop, but I also want to know him when I'm Jonah at the depths of the ocean. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Whenever Pope John Paul II would come in contact with someone who was suffering greatly. Maybe they were paralyzed or in a wheelchair or had some very severe physical illness. He would kneel down in front of them and he would ask for their hand and and he would look at them and he would say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Because there's something in your suffering that you know about the heart of our Savior that I don't know in my health. So would you pray for me, please, even as I pray for you? Listen, if you're suffering today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hate it, which you already do. (laughs) I want you to ask God to get you out of it, which you already are. And then I want you to embrace it. And I want you to ask God what he wants to do while you wait to see what he will do. Most of the most powerful ministries that have ever been birthed in the earth have been birthed through the womb of suffering. You know, you wouldn't care about addiction the way you do if addiction hadn't touched your family. You, you wouldn't be as passionate about inner healing and freedom unless you have needed to be set free. You wouldn't be asking me to start a grief recovery ministry at Grace unless grief had come to your life in some area. You wouldn't give money to Cambodia to fight trafficking unless something in your heart broke for that cause. The broken heart is the entry point for God's ministry. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted." But that doesn't just mean he's near to the brokenhearted so that he can heal the brokenhearted. It means he's near to the brokenhearted so that he can use the broken heart as a conduit for ministry in the world. If I had no issues, I wouldn't care a whole lot about anyone else. If I had never been broken, I would only ever have an intellectual understanding of brokenness, and I would only go so deep in my heart. And if something stays up here, it doesn't always move you to a life-changing action. Um. Let me give you two back-to-back verses that kind of settle the question of, are we actually protected by God from suffering? Uh, this is in First Peter chapter one, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these and then I'll end uh, back in the Psalms. In First Peter chapter one, verse three, the apostle Peter wrote, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You who are shielded by God's power, so you are protected today. You are shielded by God's power. I understand why people would say, we don't need to be afraid of COVID. We are protected people. We are. I mean, Peter said so. You read the verse, right? Um, But look at the next verse. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. All all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So you are protected and you will suffer. Uh, First of all, just think about this. We have no idea how much we would be suffering if we weren't protected. We look at where I'm not protected and it makes me think I'm not protected. Um, the book of Job reveals Satan's intentions toward you. you. know, In the book of Job, Satan would have killed Job right on the heels of all of the suffering if God hadn't stopped him. Do you remember the story of Job? God said to Satan, you can't take his life. There are some parameters to this test. So Satan went right up to the edge of what he was allowed to do. The scriptures let us know that if Satan had his way with you, you would be robbed, destroyed, and killed in short order. You are protected. But listen, even if someone is robbed, destroyed, and killed in this life, God's protection extends beyond this life. Peter said, you are shielded, And you might get COVID and you might die a martyr's death like Peter did. Everybody suffers, but in our suffering, um, we we draw close to God Um, and, and God, while I wait out this suffering, while I wait out this time, let it strengthen my character. Let it make it me more like you. Remember, Jesus was called the suffering servant. And give me such a heart of compassion that even while I'm suffering, I want to alleviate someone else's suffering. See, there's a non-redemptive suffering that just is a bummer. And then there's a redemptive suffering that changes the world in the middle of suffering. While my heart crumbles, Jesus, pour your grace and your heart into the cracks and the crevices so that something redemptive can come out of me and then remind me that my suffering has an end date, but my glory does not. My suffering will end at heaven's gates, but my shielding will go on for all of eternity. Um, There was a Spanish nun in the 1500s named Teresa of Avia. She she was also known as Teresa of Jesus. That could be you, Jess. Except you're not a nun. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) <laughs> I, I would be your best friend, but but I'm so glad that you're not a nun and I could marry you. But Teresa was uh, kind of famous in her early life. She was wealthy. She, she would have, in this day, she would have been like an Instagram celebrity. She was a socialite, very well known, but she suffered deeply. She went through some very severe traumatic times. And after serving Jesus for a lifetime in the middle of some deep pain, Teresa said these words. She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Now, listen, you can't use that quote (laughs) unless you have suffered deeply and you have found Jesus in the middle of it. But if you have suffered deeply, and if you have found Jesus in the middle of it, you can use that quote and you can use these words from Psalm 73. And Amanda, I'll let you and Seth, um, you guys can come back up here. Psalm 73, will end with this. Verse 31, verse 21 says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And suffering pulls that out of us, doesn't it? You're probably not your best self on most of your migraine days. You're probably not your best self when your back is out or the shingles have flared up or you're waiting for a word of whether or not your kid's okay. Suffering brings out the worst of us in some ways. In other ways, though, it says, even so, I am always with you. So even in those grief moments, I'm with the Lord. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Why don't you stand with me? I don't know where you're suffering today. I do know that you either are suffering, or you have suffered, or you will suffer. Listen, it does not matter how rich, how successful, or how privileged you are. There is suffering behind every gated community in the world. And even if you're privileged and even if you're successful and you have a lot going for you, you have suffered. And yet, I also should probably say, because we are privileged people, and everybody is privileged compared to somebody else, because we've been blessed, because we have certain benefits, someone else is suffering worse than we are. And I want us to end today just by bringing all of our suffering back into the presence of God. I asked Amanda if they would sing that song. This is how I fight my battles. Because that psalm came right out of Psalm 23. When David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This song, which is such an amazing song. It's from the Psalms. It's a prayer from our prayer book. It gives language to our faith. And I want us just to take all of our suffering and all of our hopes and discouragement and let's just wrap it up into worship for just a couple of minutes, okay? Can we go to this song? This is how I fight my battles. So broken hearts have changed the world. And if our fragile hearts have to break anyway, let's have something good come out of it. Let's have a change come out of it. In the same book that Peter wrote us a little later on in the book, he says, dear friends, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Um, If you bear that name today, know this, one of the greatest acts of witness that you can ever give to the world is how you respond to suffering. One of the greatest acts of evangelism and witness is what comes out of your soul when you're squished. And if you're here today and you don't bear that name of Jesus, I want you to join us. I want you to join him and I want you to let him bring some redemption and some purpose to the suffering that you're already going through. So Lord Jesus, we all open our hearts today, whether it's for the very first time and we're saying, Jesus, wash me, cleanse me, change me, forgive me, give me new life in you. God, whether we're praying that for the first time or whether we've been at this for many, many years, we're opening our hearts, we're reenlisting we're recommitting. We're not making peace with our suffering, Jesus. We know what your will is. We know your will is good. And yet we're going to use the suffering and we're going to get up and we're going to change the world and we're going to love you. And I pray you teach us to savor the soft individual moments in the middle of times of trauma. Bless every person here today. Bless every daughter, every son, our oldest members, our tiniest babies, and everybody in between. God, have your way in their lives. As Naomi prayed earlier, bless our students as they come home from camp. Let them be impacted eternally. Bless Calvary Baptist who will be worshiping here in just a few minutes. Jesus, we bless you. Amen.